When I think about 2020, I think of so many different things, um, but, but one thing that comes to mind is the creative ways that we have established in our world and our communities on how to continue to develop and maintain relationships, how to continue to do our work. And OCA has been no different. We've been able to come up with many different creative ways to continue to do foster trainings, to continue to have life coaches mentor young kids who are aging out of the foster care system, to continue to develop relationships with families who may be breaking apart, to continue to maintain the family unit. And as we move into 2021, we continue to build upon these creative ways, these unique opportunities to develop and build relationships. Foster families can get trained throughout the state. Throughout Southern Indiana, we've done trauma trainings. All of these things have happened in the midst of a pandemic. And they've happened because we've had great support from folks like our donors. And so we would love for you to join us and become a hope builder, become a one-time giver, so that we can continue to move into 2021 and help families create opportunities to develop relationships and help families stay together and help young adults and young men, young women, young boys, young girls develop and move into all that God's created them to be. And so will you join us? Will you look into being a hope builder? Will you look into being a one-time gift giver so we can continue to do all that we do, developing and building and cultivating relationships? We would love for you to be a part of that. If you choose to, go to ocakids.org, click on the donate button, and find the place that best fits you. We'd love for you to come and be a part of all that is happening at OCA. Well, welcome to episode nine of the second season here at the OCA podcast. As always, so thankful you found us. Today's episode, I get to sit down with Michelle Sanborn, who is the president of Children's Alliance of Kentucky. Michelle has a wealth of knowledge. She has spent over 20 years in the child welfare and has worked for government and is a huge advocate for how we are moving child welfare forward. And it's a great conversation for us, especially in this kind of polarized political nature of where we find ourselves, of how we can step in and be pro-family, of how we can step in as believers and care for the biological family and see the needs, meet the needs, step in and connect those needs potentially with the church. And so one thing that's not in the podcast, but as Michelle mentioned, as we ended our conversation was now in the COVID times, we are beginning to see the need for the biological families to be strengthened and not to be reactive, but proactive. So Michelle gives us great tips on how we can become proactive in connecting with our government officials and folks to step into as believers because we're pro-family. And so I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're inspired. I hope you're moved to step into many different ways. This is this may be your one way to step in and maybe your launching point to say, hey, this is what God's put on my heart to step in to do. So I hope you enjoy this time with Michelle. All right, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. We are extremely um, thankful for the work that you do on behalf of um, so many. And, and I'll get in a little bit that you can tell a little bit more that more that you do. But just to kind of start off, I would love to just hear from you, knowing that you've been in child well, welfare, well, oh, excuse me, I can't say welfare 
Nope. I've been in child welfare for um, over 20 years. And probably um, it's been your passion. It's been your heart. It's been where you've served. Where do you see the child welfare system going? I was reading something in the Courier Journal. I know you were on a, a panel there. Just that you see the need for reform and the need to kind of move into the 20th, I guess it's the 21st century and continue to move. It sounded like the commissioner was saying we're probably 70 years behind in our system, but where do you see child welfare moving forward and how can we reform that? I know the reform's a big word um, these days, but how do we move into a place that we're making, making, making a change, making a difference in, in the child welfare system? Thanks, Jonathan, for having me. I appreciate it. And yes, child welfare um, has been my passion for the years. And where I see it going and where I'm continuing to advocate that it goes is to the front end. And when I mean, when I say the word front end, um, it's really about serving children and families before the child has to be removed due to abuse and neglect um, and come into what we call out-of-home care or our foster care system. Um, I think for so many years, we've seen abuse and neglect occur, and then we've removed children, so we're reactive um, to what's going on in the family. And then we remove the child, we place the child in foster care, we maybe treat the child um, for the trauma and, and the experiences that they have experienced. We provide a big long list to the family and say, do this. We don't really help them much. Then we place the child back if, if by some chance, the, the family is able to complete the list. Um, we, we then place the, the child back at home, but nothing's really changed. And so I think we've seen in the last at least decade um, a much more concerted effort to serve the family as a whole and to work with the family to help move the child either back into the family if they have to be removed or to try to save that family relationship and serve the family um, in, the, in, the in the child together in their community. And the whole idea would be to try to keep kids with their parents in a safe environment. And I really see that's the direction we're going. We're, we're a long way from getting it right, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we're moving and we see families as, as the client and agent of change and the need for support versus just focusing on the child. Mm, that's so good. How do, you, how do you identify these families, right? How are you recognizing these families? Are they, are they children that are coming to you or the child welfare system is saying, hey, this child may, may have to go into foster care and then you step into those families or not you, but you know, the, the folks that you work with. Um, right. How are, we, how are we beginning to identify those families um, to recognize these are the families that in need, these are the families that need these services? So that's where the community comes in. I mean, I think right now, again, we're pretty reactive. And so we're waiting until abuse and neglect happens before we kind of step in and provide that. I think, again, we're moving in the right direction. Um, so right now, when a call comes in to the child welfare hotline, um, child abuse hotline, um, they will assess and determine, is it, does it meet criteria basically for investigation? Um, if it doesn't maybe meet criteria for investigation, that's when maybe they can flag 
um, a, a situation and say, hmm, maybe this family needs some services. And so they can kind of identify based on what the, the caller would say or the, um, the person who's reporting um, would say. And so they know how to assess and then what agencies they could send out to try to help that family potentially in need. Um, I think, you know, that's, the, that's kind of still, it's front end for me, um, but I'd like to see even further and get down to that prevention, get down to, you know, we really rely on teachers um, daycare workers um, to to notice what I would say red flags, um, notice things that that maybe um, draw attention for need and and children being at risk for abuse and neglect, and we start identifying and and looking to try to provide services um, through our family resource centers. I mean that's a that's an agency that um, is provided in the schools, um, but also try to work to provide some some good skills and evidence-based practices in the home when just we're looking at what I would call red flags. And so I think um, that we're a long way again from that, but I think that's my dream of us getting there. But for now, um, because of some new legislation that was passed in the last few years, we are able to use some of our federal resources and state resources to start offering those services in the home. Um, when they are, when they do come to the attention of our um, child welfare system. Yeah, for sure. And you, you just mentioned legislation and being a part of legislation. So for those who, um, who don't know, Michelle is president of Children's Alliance. Um, and tell us a little bit about what you do at Children's Alliance for Kentucky and how you advocate and how you step into this role. I mean, you, you're so passionate. You have so much knowledge. How do you step into it? What does Children's Alliance do that continues to move the ball forward that you were just talking about? Well, so the Children's Alliance is a membership association made up of 38 membership organizations who provide child welfare services and or behavioral health services. And so really there, there's, there's three and a quarter staff, so there's four of us. Um, staff, and we're really involved kind of in government relations, public policy type work. So we're, we're located in Frankfurt. Um, we have the relationship with the executive branch, the legislative branch on both the federal side and the, the state side. We work to try to develop and create policies and also revise policies or help um, just um, edit policies sometimes. We've, we've got to just make some revisions sometimes. Um, so we work to try to influence change on the larger macro policies so that then when they're implemented um, in our, our organizations and as they reach the clients that we're trying to reach, that we can see effective change. So we're working to try to influence those policies, draft those policies, help create those policies, but we're also working with our agencies to implement those policies. And inevitably, any type of a policy that, that's put in place, when you start to implement it, the devil's in the detail, right? So we know that it's hard sometimes when we start implementing, we realize maybe there's some unintended consequences. So that's when we can communicate back to the policy makers and, and decision makers and say, look, um, we, we liked the concept, we, we liked what we did, we, we helped work on maybe some of those policies that were implemented. But here's maybe some issues that are impacting the children and families that we're serving, so we've got to tweak those. So oftentimes when, when large legislation is developed, 
such as Family First. Family First, um, if you want me to share a little bit about Family First, yeah, the do. Family First Prevention and Services Act um, was a federal um, act that was implemented back in 2018, February 2018. And it came out of a large advocacy um, uh, movement to try to move to more prevention and services. Prior to the 2018 Family First Act, all the federal funds for our child welfare system could only be used if the child was removed from the family. So again, a very reactive way and costly way for us to use our resources. So after much advocacy and push um, toward allowing some of those federal dollars to be used to the front end, we were able to do that with that, um, with that act. There were really two sections of that act. One really focused on the ability to allow for prevention services and for our fund, federal funds to be used for prevention services. It also um, did some tweaks um, and some, what did it say, quality improvements to our residential and congregate care agencies as well. So it's kind of two sides to that bill. Um, but I was most excited about, and I'm, most, I'm still most excited and continue to try to push for advocacy um, around the prevention side, because that's really what we need. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, in, our, in our world today, obviously, we're just, um, we're getting out of an election cycle, or, or our, we're still going through election cycle, whatever is happening. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have this polarizing effect of Republican, Democrat, the political world. But what I, what I hear and what I hear you say is I'm stepping in and, and for children and I want to see what's best for children. I'm not worried about this or this. I'm trying to utilize my platform and the platform that I've been placed in for an opportunity to begin to get on the front end. And how can people begin to get on the front end that you see minus all of this policy and minus all of these, or not minus the policy, but minus the politics behind sometimes the policy and say, this policy is important. Children are important. Family prevention is important. Because as believers, I think we all believe that, right? We're, we're for families. We are for life. We are for seeing families thrive. And so it's important for us to, to navigate this space in a hard, difficult space so what are some tips, what are some thoughts, knowing that you've been in that space, for how as we can kind of remove these polarizing sides to say, let's be for families, and how can we help continue to, like you said, a major advocacy for the Family First Prevention Act, how can we as believers continue to step into this advocate role in a place that can be so hard at times? Because it's something that I know that you've stepped into daily for, for a long time. Well, I would say just get involved. I think before um, my involvement with the Children's Alliance, I would have said that my, um, at least my state legislators, um, didn't really have time for me. They were too busy and um, I just didn't need to bother them with my thoughts and, and opinions. And I really felt like, again, my issues weren't maybe important enough or didn't rise to the level to, to bring those to them. And I think what I've learned as, as an advocate and, um, and working, I think, at the Capitol is I've learned that legislators don't know about child welfare and don't know the issues in their communities if they're not familiar with them. Many of them are maybe bankers or lawyers or farmers. 
um, stay-at-home moms even. Um, there, there's different roles that legislators know and, and they can't know everything. And so it's our job to educate them. And while they might be a little busy during session, it's important to share your views during session about whether you're for or against a particular bill and share that, the, the why. But more importantly, when they're not in session, you need to reach out to them and get to know them and let them know your thoughts and opinions on what's happening in our community. And I think, you know, as Christians, we need to make sure that we do that in a kind and um, honest way. I think, you know, one of the things that I learned early on as an, as an advocate up at the Capitol is always go in and tell the truth and facts. Because the moment they don't believe you, they're not going to believe you moving forward. And you have this reputation. And really, one thing that I said early on is the only thing, I might win, I might lose up at the Capitol, but the only thing I know I can go home with is my integrity and character at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So it's important for us to only bring facts and honesty. We can bring our opinions, but we must do it in a kind way. It's it's not helpful to yell at your legislator and say, call them names and, and be upset about the decision. But it is important for us to say, hey, we disagree maybe with those decisions and here's why. Here's the impact that's happening in your community. And again, they don't know everything. It's our job to share that. And they also, they want to make sure they're making decisions based on their constituents and how they feel and believe. Because in the end, we vote for them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to share what our opinions are so that they can fulfill that if they can or want to or, or not. And that then they'll know if they're not elected, they'll be like, oh, I guess I missed the vote on what my constituents want, right? Mm -hmm. so, but it's important for us, I just feel like, especially as Christians, to reach out and share those important decisions and important um, policy issues that are impacting the children and families in our community. Um, and the, the other thing I would say, I think I, when I talk to other advocates, I would say always come with solutions or ideas for solutions. But often I think some of us maybe in the community like myself, before I did this, would be scared because I don't know how to fix it but I know that there's an issue. I think it's important to go ahead and share those, those issues or concerns and examples so that they can work with folks like me, other folks like Kentucky Youth Advocates, other folks to try to develop um, policies to try to work to, to develop the solutions to implement about your concerns. So we must get involved. I'll just say we must get involved. No, it's, it's so good because I, I we must get involved, but I love what you said about we must get involved with kindness and we must get involved with truthfulness and what it, I mean, just in a sense of how that leads us in a sense of the Holy Spirit guides us. Part of the fruit is the, the spirit is kindness, right? I think so. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? And so that's part of who we are, spirit guiding us and then uh, truth, right? Um, speak truth and love. And so it's one of those things that we're not coming with these things. And that's so good, especially in, in whatever political space you find yourself in the climate that we're in today, there is a hard, there's sometimes we don't find that kindness and we don't find that truth. And so what a great thing that we're speaking to. And we're speaking for kids and families. 
right? And that's what we desire for families to be, to flourish and to be growing. Because God, that's what God wants for us. And so you say, get involved. You say, what are some tips that people can do? So like myself, I think I should email my, my state senator. How much difference does that make, right? Do I go up to Frankfurt? Do I, do I go to my uh, county office? Do I email? Do I get 15 people to email? Do I make phone calls? obviously do all of those things, but what are some tips? Like you would say, Hey, these are some things that some really tangible things that you can do to get involved. Right. I would say, yes, do all of those things. I agree. Um, but I think the tip is, is to try to, to maybe even have a cup of coffee um, with your legislator and introduce yourself and let them know who you are and what you stand for in the off season, you know, when they're not in session, um, and, and when you can, or go visit them again in Frankfurt when they are there. Um, usually they're, again, they're in their districts and they're, they're, it's, they're much easier to reach in your local um, communities than they are in, in Frankfurt. Um, but I think it's important that you do give your voice while they're trying to make decisions around certain bills. Um, they're hearing from a lot of different people um, so it is important, and I think every email and every call counts, especially when for your particular, in your, your district, for your voice. So, so while I communicate with many legislators on issues, they really want to know how does this impact their constituents. So it's important for you to, to communicate with your senator and your representative to let them know how these things impact you and your family and your community um, and the children of families in our communities um, so that they can, again, make those decisions. I was told years ago by a legislator, if they got five kind of individual letters or, or emails or you know, not just a form letter, but kind of individual kind of examples or calls about something, that would sway them to vote either yes or no, depending on, on how that fell out. So five people, that's not a lot of people, right? That's right. so, um, so you could make or break, you could be number five. Right. Um, and especially with, with, you know, even our presidential election is close, right? So I think it's important uh, for some of these decisions for them to know, and for them to know, even if you're supporting them, and you know, they're a champion for something, just to let them know and give them a pat on the back that they're doing the right thing helps them and empowers them to kind of keep moving forward stronger. Yeah. How do we stay up to date on these things? So there's so many bills there's so many things that, so if we're passionate about family prevention, we're passionate about kids who have been neglected, vulnerable families. How do we stay up to date on what's being passed and what's in the house and the Senate throughout Kentucky? Um, I would say partner with some advocacy organizations. I think Kentucky Youth Advocates is a great one for kind of a general um, child welfare. Um, Kentucky Youth Advocates years ago um, pulled together multiple advocates for children to develop what we call the Kentucky Blueprint. Um, Children's Alliance is part of that, as, as are many of organizations that advocate for ch children and families across the state. And we try to organize to come up with kind of what I would call a list of priorities. Instead of all of us bombarding them with all of our individual things, 
we tried to kind of consolidate that and then work together um, as a team. And so I would look on the Kentucky Youth Advocates, it's KentuckyYouth.org, and look under their blueprint for children. I don't know if their 2021 blueprint is out. Usually they try to develop that and get that out right around the first of the year. Mm -hmm. um, there's also something called Children's Advocacy Day. Um, always try to come out for that because I do think, again, even on Children's Advocacy Day, even if you don't visit your legislator, but that's a great day to visit your legislator on behalf of children. Just the sheer volume of the people that are there on Children's Advocacy Day makes a statement to all legislators that this is important, that children don't vote, but a lot of adults that do vote care about our children. So try to attend Children's Advocacy Day. This year, it's actually going to be Children's Advocacy Week. Yeah, and they're going to be doing something cool. virtually. Like yeah. So I'm not sure what it's going to be like. I've been part of Children's Advocacy Day since its inception. Um, and so have always been kind of up, up at the Capitol. It's kind of a big week and a big day for us, actually. We do a lot from, from dawn till dusk. We yeah. do a lot of things on Children's Advocacy Day. But um, so I think that's probably a good source for children's and families issues broadly. And that's February. I think I saw February 1st through the 5th. Is that right? I don't know if you know the top, the date off the top of your it, head. But. It is. It's yeah. that first week of February. Yeah. Um, and that's really the first week that session really kicks off. Okay. Um, so, so it's important for us to kind of be at the forefront and get our voices out. Um, also, the Children's Alliance does do some, some um, work on certain legislation and we do have like we do action alerts and so you can get on our website and sign up and if you want to make a call or you want to do an email usually we'll send you the information and say hey reach out to your legislator today and ask them to vote yes or no on this and we'll provide you the information again you can choose to to use that information and make those calls or not yeah for sure um and so as you as you look forward as you crystal ball 20 years, your desire for the child welfare system is what? So last year, I think um, that Kentucky spent about $460 million on out-of-home care, and we spent about $18 million on front-end prevention services. I'd like to see that flip. I'd like to see that we're spending $468 billion on front-end services and the children are living with families, but that yet we're going to have to spend 18 or so million for those children and families that really need the, the more severe, um, more um, what I would call back-end <laughs> back yeah. services, because yeah. um, we're going to need that. Um, but I would, I would, my dream would be that all children has, have a permanent family, um, whether that be their family or a foster care and an adoptive home, you know, those are the, our real heroes that really step up and do that. Um, and I know, again, we're going to need residential at some level um, and, and hospital care, but I would love to see our efforts spent really building strong families for our, our state um, and, and more ways than just parenting, but having strong families in the workforce and, and strong families in our communities. There's so many things to build that strong family and focus on the family would be my dream. 
Yeah, for sure. And where does the church play in that? How does the church continue to fulfill that as well? I mean, again, I think they can be resources and help these families. They can step in and, and provide, sometimes it's just financial resources that these families need. Maybe they can help with that. Some of them just need some respite, especially during COVID, right? When we're all stuck at home, we're stressed, maybe we're unemployed. Yeah. Um, we, we might need someone to just come take our kids and let them go to the park for a little while and give us a break, right? Um, there's, those are things that the church can do. Wrap around our families, help our families, um, build them with, with character and parenting skills. I think the church can do that. Um, there's many things that we can do to help support our parents, and, and is what I would say, and children. Um, and I don't know. I just yeah. think there's numerous ways yeah. that, that us as a community um, as a believers can work to do this prior to child welfare. Yeah. And you said something earlier that really resonated just in a sense of this family prevention, what's going to begin helping that, right? And how do we identify? And you mentioned community and what better way for the church to kind of be a part of and wrap around. And that was my immediate, immediate thought is the churches are in the community. How can they continue to step in and say, we can help this family and we can love this family and we can love this family. And right. in 20 years, hopefully, right, that money is being spent with, you know, with the church, but maybe not as much money, because there have been other resources, community resources, um, that says, we love the family, you know, and God created us for and, 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 and by relationships. And so what a great vision forward. Um, and so Michelle, I am in love your passion, and love your desire to serve. How can how can we step into what you're doing? And, and in a sense, obviously there's advocacy. Um, you just, and I guess, I guess that's a repeat question, redundant question, but we need to continue to step into what you're doing, right? We need to continue to move into creating avenues for legislation to, to see, to see children, right? To see this movement forward, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah. And I think um, the church can embrace again, the family and not think of us as being the rescuers of these children and that we just need to pull them away from those bad parents, right? We need to understand, you know, parents don't want to be in these situations that they're in. Um, yeah, they've made bad choices. We can, we can say that. Things, things happen. Sometimes some of, them, some of those choices are out of their control. Some of them aren't. But either way, they're in them. How do we help them out? How do we give them a, a hand up, should I say? How do we wrap that, their, our arms around the family, I think is important. Um, you know, I did, a, I did some advocacy training back when I ran foster care agencies. And I was out kind of doing what I call the circuit, where I was training families all across the state and meeting with them. And when I went one time in Eastern Kentucky, and I said, you know, how many of our foster kids want to go home? Um, even after experiencing some of the abuse and neglect, you would think some of them like wouldn't want to go home. And typically I heard hundred percent, you know, all of them, all of them want to go home. But one night when I was in Eastern Kentucky, a woman said 110%. She said 110. And I was like, you know, she's exactly right. They all want to go home. They all want to have a healthy mom and a dad. They all want to have that relationship with their parents. There's a void 
when they can't have that. So again, what's best for us is to help moms and dads, if possible. And I know sometimes that's not possible for, for some, but I feel like it's possible for many if we would just not want to come in and rescue and just remove the child, but really want to rescue by, by fixing and helping the situation and helping moms and dads um, in their circumstances be better parents and be parents. I think some of them can't even be parents. They can't take care of themselves sometimes, much less their children, right? How do we help them with that? So I think, again, really, you know, I, I think I heard some numbers where if, if Kentucky could, could find a foster family in every church, we would cover our out-of-home care numbers. And it's like, well, what if Kentucky found each one of those wrapped around a family? Just one church, one family, right? Instead of one church, one child, right? Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to help those moms and dads when we can. So good, Michelle. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for what you do, for stepping in for the, for the children, for the families, as you, as you navigate public policy, as you navigate the political world and being a believer. Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing your insight and your wisdom with us today. Well, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it.